Hi, this is Teddy. Today's episode is about Arkansas. Here's some facts about Arkansas. Arkansas is ranked 33rd in population with just over 3 million people. The capital and largest city is Little Rock. The governor of Arkansas is Republican Asa Hutchinson. The senators are Republicans John Boozman and Tom Cotton. Arkansas sends four representatives to the U.S. House of Representatives. All Republicans. Bye, y'all. Hey everyone, this is Kelly with Two Broads Talking Politics. I am here today with Chinton Desai, who is running for Congress in the Arkansas 1st District. Hi, Chinton. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me. So I'm going to ask you our usual first question, which is, can you just tell me a little bit about your background and why you've decided to run for Congress? Yeah, so I am the proud son of immigrants. They moved from India in the early 1980s, they were looking for a better life for themselves and their future family. And they moved to California. They, they worked uh, incredibly hard. My dad uh, worked at a fast food restaurant. And my mom worked at an arts and craft store. And that's sort of the decision that has guided why I'm running that. I think about that decision that they made to leave behind their friends, their family, their loved ones, everything that they knew and loved. In India to come to a country where they didn't know anybody and they didn't have any resources. I was definitely the beneficiary of that decision. Pretty great K through 12 public schools. I had the opportunity to enter a life of public service. So the day after I graduated from UC Davis, I moved to Helena, Arkansas, which is in eastern Arkansas, right along the Mississippi River, to become a fifth grade social studies teacher. Uh, so came over through program called Teach for America, places recent college grads in low-income areas to teach. I taught for a couple years and stuck around. I've been working in education in that same school district as an administrator. It's been almost a decade. I've made my home in Helena, bought a house there, have come to love people and the work, and running for Congress because, to connect it back to the story of my parents, uh, they're are too many Arkansans, too many people I've met in the time that I've been here and on the campaign trail who have a very similar dilemma to my parents. They feel like they have to leave Arkansas, uh, talk to young people. They're sure that they will not be able to find the jobs they want here in Arkansas and talk to seniors who have kids and children who have left them already because they're looking for better lives. And uh, to me, that there there's a ton of value in being able to stay where you grew up, your home, but that's just not the reality that uh, that, that many Arkansans have right now, and I think that we could do something about it. Great. So you started to to touch on some of this, but let's talk a little bit about this district. Uh, what part of Arkansas is this? And you know, you're, you're discussing how people feel like they have to leave to make a better life. What are the kinds of issues that are really facing them? What are what are the things that they would need to be able to stay there. Yeah. So for the for, to the first question, it's all of eastern Arkansas. It's a massive district all the way to the border of Missouri in the north and all the way south to the border of Louisiana. We actually border four different U.S. states. So that includes Tennessee 
in Mississippi, uh, 17,000 square miles. It's the entire part of Arkansas that borders the Mississippi River. So you have the the Arkansas Delta, but then you also go inland a little bit. And so it's it's diverse in a lot of ways in terms of uh, economic interests, in terms of population, in terms of income. So sort of not, not uniform in any way, uh, but similar struggles, similar issues that, that people face throughout no matter where you are. And I think those include access to a high quality education. You know, we're not in Arkansas doing particularly well if we're talking about uh, investment in education and outcomes in education. That includes making sure that we're starting kids at, at, at the right age so they're getting the education they need. We're not where we need to be in terms of, of teacher pay and, and also not there in terms of investment in, in post-secondary education. So just making sure that you have a, a good, solid education uh, is certainly one of the issues that, that Arkansans face. Uh, there's also the issue of access to high-quality, affordable health care. You know, right now, there's a state-administered program that's uh, sort of a, the Medicaid expansion that – yeah, has there's there's work requirements that the governor has implemented uh, that has sort of threatened to take a lot of people off the rolls uh, in terms of, of Medicaid coverage, and so certainly access to to healthcare coverage is a big issue. And then if we're talking about keeping people in Arkansas, uh, wages have not grown, and so we're talking about many people who are working multiple jobs, forty or more hours per week. Uh, on minimum wage and sort of still living in poverty. And you combine that with the fact that there are still, there's still a, a lack of jobs in terms of good, high paying jobs. And I think if we made the right investments in terms of infrastructure, particularly rural broadband, uh, that would be one of the ways that we could make sure that people, if they're getting a great education, if they have the health care they need, could then also apply those skills right here in Arkansas and not, not feel like they have to leave. So I, I've been looking some at the the district, and on paper, it looks like a, a difficult district to win in. It's been voting increasingly Republican over the past few uh, presidential cycles. Uh, you know, it's considered an R plus 17, which is a, a pretty Republican rating. But it sounds like the people there also are in, in dire need of change. And, you know, it's been in Republican control for uh, since the 2010 election. So what are you hearing as you talk to people? What what do you see as sort of your, your path to victory in this district? Yeah, the path to victory is, is reaching more people uh, and inspiring more people to turn out. I mean, I think one of the issues that we face in our district is, well, you know, we we talk about some of the numbers in, in terms of uh, the most recent cycles. I think that has been uh, the direct result of sort of a, a non-voting status that we have. We have counties that have uh, voter turnout in the in the high 20s, which we can do a whole lot better in. You know, that, that particular county, if we increase the, the turnout to, uh, you know, 40, 50 percent, a lot of those votes are Democratic votes. And so it's a combination of inspiring more people to turn out. And then our particular strategy in terms of how we've, uh, you know, attacked this race is we're just talking to as many people as possible. And there's a clear contrast there. We have a congressman who has been a no-show congressman. He has refused to hold town halls. He doesn't really regularly meet with his constituents. And, and our 
criticism there is that if you are not meeting people where they are, if you're not talking to them, how can you possibly represent their interests in Washington? And so a strategic decision that we made from the beginning is that we would actually go out to every single community. There are 30 counties in this district. We spent the month of July visiting all 30 counties in the district. Uh, now that we've actually visited all of those counties multiple times. And so we've actually talked to some of these people face to face. We've heard their stories and we're making sure they're connected uh, in our messaging. And so when uh, the congressman may talk about his record and sort of what he's done, we're seeing that he hasn't necessarily done a whole lot. And there are a lot of people that don't even know who he is or have, have talked to him. So a combination for us of increasing turnout, making sure that in particular counties, uh, there are more people voting and just that there are more people who know who I am, who have visited with, with me, who have talked to me and have uh, you know, heard our message of uh, investment in healthcare, investment in education, uh, investment in, in jobs. Uh, those things we think are things that people will resonate with. And uh, if they hear that message directly from me, they'll, they're more likely to vote for me. So I wanted to ask you some about immigration, too. Immigration is obviously a, a challenge that's going to be facing the new Congress. You are the child of immigrants. Uh, so I, I wanted to know both what, you know, how being the child of immigrants sort of shapes your view of the kinds of immigration policies that we might want to put in place, um, but also, you know, what you're seeing in the district, what you're hearing from people about their views on immigration. Uh, Arkansas, of course, doesn't have any borders with other countries, but like everywhere else in the country is talking a lot about immigration. And so I wondered if you could sort of address that from from both of those angles. Yeah. So as the son of immigrants, I, you know, this is obviously very personal to me. And I, I go back to that story. I think about that very difficult decision that my parents had to make. And you know, I think about our current uh, state in terms of immigration, and those are very similarly difficult decisions that people have to make to leave behind their country and their loved ones to come to a new country. There, there's obviously a reason they're doing that. They they want opportunity. They want uh, a better life. And so when I think about uh, immigration decisions and immigration policy, I think, you know, we, we need to make sure that we uh, approach those decisions with a little bit of empathy, with a little bit of empathy for, uh, again, those incredibly difficult decisions that people have to make. And so given that, is separating family something that we should be doing? Absolutely not. Is detaining children something that we should be doing? Absolutely not. So I think about it from that that standpoint. In terms of the messaging then to individuals here in Arkansas, I mean, it, it can be tough if we're talking about some of the the things that they might hear with the media that they're listening to and, and, and watching, they might become a little bit more fearful of of immigrants who are coming across uh, the border. But uh, I know that when I talk to them and I make that connection with them, uh, they're a little bit more, they become, become a little bit more understanding. And I know that for a lot of people, there's also, you know, they, they see the pragmatic need for immigration. I, I talk to farmers who you know, they certainly need the, the the labor from from immigrants who come across the border and, and are wanting to work and wanting to produce. And uh, for them, that's a critical thing. So we know that you know, we, we gain a lot from immigrants if we're talking about contributions to the economy. And uh, for us, it's just a matter of making sure that message is there and uh, and people know a little bit more about my story and and also see the the very 
you know, real benefits uh, that immigrants make and that there's not necessarily uh, a huge, huge security threat that we actually have many other things that we need to be worrying about. And that includes, again, access to education, access to high quality health care. Having taught fifth grade social studies, do you find yourself drawing on some of those lessons that, you know, that you are imparting to students when you're you're helping both think about how to campaign, but also helping people understand more about the process of voting and democracy and why that would be important? Yeah, I mean, I think the it's when I taught fifth grade social studies, I'll be honest, that was, you know, right after college, uh, I was sort of getting into the uh, the groove a little bit in terms of teaching. And so, you know, the, the, I, I was doing my very best at that point to uh, to be a teacher, to also manage the classroom and to do all the things that you need to do to be a good teacher. But I do know that one of the things that I was trying to impart in kids is that the participation is key, that if you, uh, if you want to have a voice in our democracy, then it is important that you are engaged, that you are informed, and that you do vote. And right, that's the same messaging that we've got to have with our population, particularly the ones who have not been engaged. We have to make that connection in terms of why this this matters. When we talk to people who either are not registered to vote or haven't voted in a long time, we do need to make that connection in terms of, well, why does this matter to you? Um, and then, you know, talk about those reasons. Well, you pay taxes, right? Or you want access to to these things? Or do you feel like you've been represented by your current congressman? Just trying to find the different messages that might work uh, on different people. But uh, ultimately, with, with the goal of, of making sure they know that their voice matters, that their participation matters, that their elections that have been decided uh, by razor thin margins. Uh, and so that's why it's incredibly important that they that they participate. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that we talk about? Yeah, I mean, I just encourage people to to look into our race a little bit. Uh, I know that because it's not necessarily one of the ones that you see all the time if we're talking about uh, red to blue or one of those swing districts. Despite that, we think we have a great message. I think the story that we've got uh, is a particularly powerful one. And if we're talking about uh, you know where this work is particularly important, I think in a place like eastern Arkansas, in the Delta, one of the most impoverished regions of the country, it is important that someone stands up and, and fights for people. And like I said, we've got a congressman who has uh, not only been a no-show congressman, who hasn't listened to his constituents, who hasn't taken the time to to talk to them, but then he's had a voting record that shows that he's not in tune uh, with the needs of his district. Uh, if he were, then he'd be voting in a, in a much different way. And so to that extent, even though you know last few cycles have, have been tough, we I think we now have, and myself and the team that we have, uh, a strong campaign, a campaign that's been focused on listening, focused on, uh, on making sure people feel like they're represented. Uh, and so if there's interest in, in learning more, uh, in helping us by either putting in some, some volunteer work, uh, by helping us with messaging, by spreading the word a little bit, or even uh, by helping us with resources, we are at a point where uh, every single dollar goes to voter outreach, every single, you know, $25 helps us reach $50, uh, then there's an interest in that, then make sure that you visit our website. It's decide, D-E-S-A-I for congress.com. We have a Facebook page. It's at decide for Congress. And then a Twitter page, 
which is at decide on Desai. We think that if that's, you know, that's a message that you can get behind. If this is something you're interested in, then we think you'll, you'll like what you see in here. Great. And we'll put links up for those on our website as well. Thank you. So uh, I'm super impressed with how much you're getting around the district. You know, I've, I've scrolled through your Facebook page and it's, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you're just busy constantly uh, trying to, to get around and, and get to different events in such a massive district. So I think it's fantastic. I'm so thrilled to see really strong Democrats running everywhere. It looks like possibly last time there wasn't even a, a Democrat in the race in the first. There wasn't. Yeah, there wasn't. You know, if I'd actually make another point, if, if uh, the la- the other thing that I'm particularly proud of, if we we're talking about, you know, getting to a point in the long run where we can be competitive in some of these districts, you have to start somewhere. So I think the other point that I'm proud of is that we have helped rebuild the Democratic Party in eastern Arkansas, where, you know, from where two years ago we didn't even have a candidate to now, uh, I think as a re- direct result of this campaign, we have started five new young Democrat chapters at high schools and colleges throughout the district. That's been, you know, to give the credit where it's due, that's been the direct result of my political director, Ethan Williams, who has put in the work to start those chapters. And so if we're talking about, uh, you know, starting the, you know, starting somewhere, that's going to be hugely important to have young Democrats involved. You have people on our campaign and people who've been volunteering with us who are now ready to run and lead the campaigns of tomorrow. And then, I know of at least a handful of individuals who are ready to run themselves. And so I think that's all incredibly important. I do think that there are more than enough people uh, in our district who believe in the things we believe in, which again, I don't think there's anything radical about high quality education, investment in healthcare, making sure that we have access to the jobs and wages that we need. There are enough people that believe in those things and, and we have made a great start to making sure that pretty soon here we'll we'll start winning elections again in the first district. Excellent. That is definitely exciting. Well, Chinson, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and and thank you for running such a great campaign. We're going to be uh, watching and and really hoping that you can pull it off in November. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm here in this segment with my co-host, Sophie. Hey, Sophie. Hey, Kelly. And we have a returning guest tonight. Super exciting. We have with us Sarah Scanlon, who is running for the school board in North Little Rock, Arkansas. Hi, Sarah. Hey, how are you? Great. Thanks for joining us again. My pleasure. Yeah, last time we talked to you, you weren't yet a candidate, so I'm excited to hear about this. So uh, it's been a really long time since we talked last, and I know we have a lot of new listeners since then. So can you tell us again a little bit about your background and and then why you decided to run for school board? Absolutely. So how best to summarize this? (laughs) I'm a, a crazy liberal lesbian living in Arkansas. That's about the best way I can talk about it. But in real life, like in in reality, I am a kind of a political professional who is working in the world that we've been, that we've received since 2016 and is doing her best to resist, I think. You've done a lot with other people's campaigns, helped a, just a 
tremendous amount of campaigns, but how did you get from that to running for office yourself? That's a really good question. So yes, I've done a lot for campaigns. I started working in politics in, in 94, 1994. And at the time I was in Seattle, Washington, and I was, was like that when I was started doing this professionally and I was running a legislative campaign and kind of cutting my teeth on it. But, uh, Political work through the through the Bush years. Political work through it, it has is like it's exhausting to keep fighting the good fight and losing, and then getting to where I am now, uh, settled in Arkansas, trying to maintain some grasp on what our reality is without losing all hope, basically, and then. And then coupling all of that with the fact that I went from running campaigns to training people to run for office. And when I was training people to run for office and working with candidates, they would often get the question of, have I ever run myself? And how do I know that these things that I'm talking about work? How do I know that, that, you know, knocking on doors is the best way to get to voters? All these, all these, you know, quote unquote, all this quote unquote science that we use. I can now say, when folks ask me that question, why, yes, I have run for office. (laughs) And hopefully in November, I'll be able to say, why, yes, I have run for office and I won. (laughs) Right? So um, a lot of it is a desire to do what I'm asking others to do, right, which is one of the things good le- I think leadership qualities one of the good leadership qualities is you don't ask somebody to do something you're not willing to do yourself um and you know i i want to be part of the solution i don't want to be i don't want to be part of the problem right and then in another on another on the flip side of it right i'm dealing with my own imposter syndrome where i have often said I, I I don't see myself running for office because I don't think I don't think I'm a smart enough, b qualified, or c I'm afraid to I'm afraid that I'll lose. And so I you know I, I just I'm just swallowing and and putting myself out there and you know working for the betterment of kids in North Little Rock. Can you tell us a little bit about North Little Rock? All I know about North Little Rock is that it is located near Little Rock. <laughs> <laughs> it's next door. We're actually, it's the only thing, really, the only practical thing that separates Little Rock from North Little Rock is the uh, river. And Little Rock mm-hmm. is on the, I would say Little Rock, if you're looking at it east, west, north, and south, then Little Rock is on the west side and North Little Rock is on the east side or north, northern and up. So it's a sister community, the Little Rock. It's hard to separate them. It's just they have separate governments. They have separate school districts. They have separate municipalities. But they're, it's basically one large group. It's like Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas, right? It's very similar. Mm-hmm. So we think of Arkansas as a fairly Republican, conservative place. Is that true of North Little Rock as well? Well, so let's let's see if we can start changing perceptions 
right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So Arkansas, Arkansas is not a conservative state. It's it's not, and we're proving that all the time. And I think one of the ways that the reason I say that is because we don't. It's not that we have an abundance of conservative voters. It's we have we have an overabundance of non-voters. We have an overabundance of people like our our high turnout for Arkansas historically has about 47% of the voters. And so we have 47% of the electorate making decisions for a hundred percent. What we're trying to do is actually give people a reason to vote. So the answer to your question is, is really a little rock is this little liberal bastion with fringe of disengaged folks who think that who for years have been, um, Lulled to not, I don't want to say lulled to sleep, but lulled to complacency by one party rule for the, you know, for majority of the time. We didn't start seeing Republicans getting elected until probably 2012 was when we started seeing the slippage from, from Democrats having total control to um, Republicans winning seats. And in 2014, there was just a big, there was an there was just a huge turnover. So, 2014, only a mere four years ago, the Republicans took control of the House, they took control of the state Senate, and they took control of the the all the constitutional offices: governor, lieutenant governor, the secretary of state, the the attorney general. Those all major constitutional offices went from went immediately from Democrat to Republican including all of our federal offices. So we lost, uh, we, we lost all the, the legis- the congressional seats and we lost the second of our Senate seats. So that's where we are. People always say, you know, if you're thinking about running for office, run for school board. And I live in Chicago, which is a place that does not have an elected school board, which is a whole other point of contention. But uh-huh. uh, so it's not really clear to me what what an elected school board does. You know, why? Who who are the kinds of people that that sit on it? What kind of position is it? And what sort of decisions does it make? So the school board is probably the most volunteer position. And it's normally is a, an unpaid elected position, uh, could very well be an appointed paid position in some locations, but in, in Arkansas, in most of the South, it's an unpaid elected position and school boards in this, in Arkansas specifically, um, are, they Primarily are the administration, the, the administrative arm, or they approve the administration of the school district. So they they deal with a lot of HR and personnel matters, and they deal with a lot of like the the spending of the monies, the, the tax dollars that are collected. It's the school board that has the fundamental responsibility of of taking care of the buildings and the and the uh, in the district. What are some of the issues that people are asking you about, local issues that people are really interested in talking to you about? So the issues that deal with how, um, how, how are the buildings? Like, for instance, in, our, in the middle school in the North Little Rock School District, we have, some, we have some construction issues. We have some 
the, the middle school is probably the last building that hasn't been re- refurbished in a significant amount of time. So it's, so, so making sure that the rooms don't leak, that, that the kids ha- have a good play structure and a good place to actually gather and that, you know, that, that they have the resources necessary for the books in their classrooms, that, that funding is allocated for upkeep and for the different, like the bus drivers and the buses are taken care of. And so it's all the, it's all the logistical stuff, all the administration. It's not really, I don't want to, it's not administration. It's actually oversight um, in the district. So we deal with that without being micromanageable micromanaging and then so i mean it just school boards also deal with personnel issues so if we have issues with um if we have issues with uh, teachers or issues with how schools are being run like they're the we have rules around when fundraising can take place like who can do fundraising within a district and and if that's not, if those policies are not being followed, then that's when it comes to our attention. The other thing is setting the pay structure and negotiating with teachers on their pay, their their like what their uh, what their work environment is like. That's what school boards do. Mm-hmm. And so when we when we talk about supporting teachers so that they want to teach in places like Arkansas and supporting and making sure that, that they're getting paid in a fair wage and they're getting paid that their retirement is, uh, can sustain them after they've, you know, after they've worked all of their tenure and that they can, and they retire, let's make sure that we have resources available to support that retirement, healthcare policy, all that stuff is all, you know, at the, at the local level here. You have a, a daughter. Do a lot of people who sit on school boards have children themselves uh, or older children? What does that normally look like? It, it's different. It, so it is different. So most of the time you'll see people on school boards that have, that have time to give. So they may be retirees. Mm. They may be, they may be uh, people who have a vested interest in making sure that the, the school districts are, are run appropriately. It could very well be, so it could ha- also be business folks who are on school boards, but they have to, our, our school board is set up so that it's, you have to have representatives from zones. Mm-hmm. And so you have to live in the zone. It's just like any other jurisdiction. You have to live in the, the area that you represent. Um, and, and it's not an at large. So other school boards have, you know, like a number of zone representation, and then they have that large seats. They represent all of the zones, and it just depends. So in ours, I have a, I have a, I'm running in a zone that's probably comprised of about three precincts in a legislative district, and it's literally, I think, four thousand between four and five thousand voters, or four and five thousand registered voters. So for the rep- so in representation, we have we have. Teachers, we have we have teachers who are employed in other districts who live in North Little Rock, run for the North Little Rock School Board. We have retired teachers. We have a retired teacher on the school board. We have business people and parents of people of kids with you know children in the school district, and um, and we have 
so until recently, until this is the first year that we're actually electing school boards on the general election date. Normally, we elect them in in September, and so the turnout for those votes are usually is usually around 500 people. So we have people being elected to the school board who don't know what they're being asked to do, that they're just running for the school board because they can or because it's been a, it's beneficial to them as a business person to be on the school board. When we think about super local elections, you know, we, we think about the kind of campaigning that's done. And it looks like you're doing things like canvassing and, and going to high school football games to talk to people. <laughs> Can you talk a little that's bit right. about sort of being on that side now having to, I'm sure you've done a lot of canvassing in your life, but now canvassing for yourself? It's, it's different because, uh, you know, I, I have run around with this mantra that signs don't vote and you don't buy crap, right? So, you know, when you're when you're running for office, you're raising money to help do the things that get your name out into the community. And so, you know, I, I, I am now, I now find myself uh, thinking about yard signs when I, when I actually hate yard signs and I don't like <laughs> candidates thinking about them. And I finally know what it feels like to see my opponent's yard signs in other people's yards. And, and, and I, uh, I found myself looking at, like I, I allowed myself to buy a uh, hundred foam footballs for to pass out at the football game that, that like the first home football game for the high school that I'm, you know, the North Little Rock high school. So I, I mean, I'm like, why I tell my, I tell clients not to do this all the time and I'm turning <laughs> around and I can't, I can't wait to do it. So, you know, you learn, this is, this is why it's important to run for office. <laughs> so you learn and you can be compassionate and empathetic when candidates like express their frustration, Right. Mm-hmm. Like now when somebody says, but my opponent's got 15 signs in my neighborhood, I'll understand what they're talking about. <laughs> it's different because I am so used to going to a door and asking people about other candidates. It's a different world when you're going to the door and saying, hi, vote for me. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that we talk about? So there's there are a couple of things, and and, I, um, and maybe we'll turn into me being the interviewer and you can tell me, but... <laughs> I am loving, I will tell you right now that I'm loving a lot of things that I've seen since I, we talked last. We've had these great populist surprises all across the country, and I think that's just fantastic. Uh, but the number of women who are running for office is breathtaking. It's amazing. In, in Arkansas, in, our, in my little state, which is supposedly red, we have 54 women running for office and they've all been identified as progressives. So they're, they're, we're, it's, it's amazing to watch and it's amazing to see. And these women are just changing the world politically. I haven't seen this. It's, it's such a diametric difference between men running for office and women running for office. It's just, it's startling to me. Um, but it's simple things. It's little things that you find so different. And this is there's, and I'll tell stories about what I mean. So when when men run for office, they're like they're very insular. They're very they're and, and yeah, I'm being general, but they don't want to campaign with anybody else. They want to do it on their own. They want to be the top line on the ticket. They want to. It's like their their it's their way or the highway. It's very much a competition, not only with people on in the same party, but also with the person they're running against. Mm-hmm. Um, when what I've seen with women candidates 
is the exact opposite. We have Senate candidates. We have state Senate candidates who are organizing, uh, literally organizing with the JP candidates or the city council candidates that are running in their district so that they're working collaboratively to get out the vote across the board so that everybody benefits, not just them as the singular, singular candidate. And it's changing the dynamic for our elections because we're implementing the divide and conquer method for campaigns while still coalescing and still working together. And it's just amazing to watch. That's something we've seen too. We we had an episode a couple of weeks ago with five women who are running in the same county. And, you know, there was like a, a U.S. House and two state house candidates and a county commissioner and a county clerk of courts. And they were all sort of running as a team. And it's amazing to watch. And it's, it's so, I mean, yeah, it's just fun to watch. I just find it very exciting. And I think it's reshaping how we think about the political process. Mm-hmm. And it's making a big difference. It's just instead of having a candidate or a campaign that has to recruit a hundred volunteers and fights with other campaigns to recruit those volunteers and and causes all this divisiveness, they're saying with a hundred volunteers, we can do all of this work for all five of us Mm -hmm. instead of trying to find 500 volunteers to do the work that we need individually. And it's just, it's making huge difference. That's, that's, and that's my two cents. <laughs> All right. If our listeners would like to help support your campaign, how can they do that? So the best way is to go. I have a I have a donate link on my Facebook page. So you can go to Sarah Scanlon for North Little Rock School Board. You can find me that way. And there's a donate link there. Or, you know, you can always mail. But if you are in Arkansas and want to come do some canvassing and talking to voters, then you can, you can find us in many different places all across the state. We'll put a link to your Facebook page up on our website as well. Fantastic. So, Sarah, thank you so much. It's it's so fun to hear about you going from, you know, having all this experience in, in campaigning to, to being the candidate yourself. <laughs> from working on a presidential campaign and running across the country trying to help get people to vote for Bernie Sanders to actually running for school board myself. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's been very fun. And I, I think it'll make you that much uh, better of a <laughs> campaign advisor. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. I may want to get out of this completely by the time this is over. No, you got to keep going long <laughs> enough to uh, advise me when I run for office. <laughs> I'm there. I'm there. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. Are you going to run for mayor? Uh, I, I I joked about it. There, you know, there's 19 other people running, but, you know, why not? Who's running for crying out loud? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody in Ugh. the city of Chicago is running for mayor. <laughs> Listeners, stay tuned after November 6th when we will do a whole episode on what is going on in Chicago politics. I, I Personally, I can't wait for that. <laughs> uh, I can. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I should have said was, so Barb thinks, she thinks I should have run for Secretary of State instead of school board or Senate for that matter. She thinks I should have run for Senator, United States Senator. And I'm, I'm, I tell her she's aiming a little too high, but greatly appreciate that. It's not often you have a spouse telling you 
that you should be running for a higher office. <laughs> but it's always that reluctance of getting your family involved in what you're doing. It's, it's been a learning process. My husband does not want me to run for office. <laughs> at all? Uh, not because he doesn't think I'd be good at it, but because he doesn't want all the extra child care that will come with it. <laughs> Tell him that there's a new growing effort among women candidates to accept the fact that childcare is part of the volunteer duties. Like, yes. so instead of, you know, picking up your dry cleaning, like you'd have a volunteer do if you're a guy running for office, you have actually somebody offer to help take care of your kids for a few hours and cook your family meals. So you can tell him to look forward to that. All right. He'll be sold. <laughs> <laughs> there's no holding you back. <laughs> There's Chicago politics holding me back, but otherwise, yes. <laughs> so thank you so much. This was really fun. and uh, Yes, thank you. I I'm sure we'll have you back on again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Two Broads Talking Politics. Our theme song is called Are You Listening? off of the album Elephant Shaped Trees by the band Immunuri, and we're using it with permission of the band. Our logo and other original artwork is by Matthew Wethlin and was created for use by this podcast.